rage and anger had a had a hold on me, man. And I had a I had a hair trigger, so it was easy to it was easy to get me to, to go to go in. Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday. Well, hello and welcome back to Testimony Tuesday. This is Pastor Adam with you once again, and uh, you are here for a testimony. We've got one for you. Uh, We are so glad to welcome Pastor Deontay Scott from Spring Lake, North Carolina. Thank you for joining us tonight. You're welcome. It's a pleasure, honor, and a privilege. Yeah, well, so what our audience doesn't know is that we've had a a spiritual battle taking place for the last hour. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. <laughs> so le- we we won't we'll spare them the details, but uh, just just let you know that the devil didn't want this to happen. We had all kinds of technical difficulties. Absolutely, absolutely. But we're here now. God is on the throne, so it's all good. Amen, amen. All right. So North Carolina, what what's how's things going down there? It's hot. <laughs> it's man. Hot. So weird in February. Yes, yes, it was eighty today. So, and I do, I do pest control, so I'm out there in it. So it it was, it was a testing day, but hey, it was, it's all good. So you love hot days. There's lots of bugs come out. uh, Yeah, my pocket loves it. My my body doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) I know about that. All right. Well, Deontay, I know you a little bit, uh, but for our audience, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? And for those who don't know you, uh, let us know you and your wife's name and uh, where you're serving and how long you've been there and give us a a report. Yeah, for sure. My name is uh, Deontay Scott. I am, my wife's name is Faith Scott. And so we uh, have four awesome children. We've got two teenagers, one, uh, uh, one, so to speak, adult. So she is 18. I'm going to be 19 this year. So we got one uh, graduated from high school already, uh, one about to graduate. We got a, a one that's about to be, he's about to be 13 in June. And then our baby girl just turned uh, 10 sat- Sunday. So we got we got a whole crew going on. Got the gaggle. So we are serving here. In, uh, we're herbing here in Spring Lake, North Carolina. Uh, I'm assisting and I'm also the uh, youth pastor here in Spring Lake, North Carolina. So, Oh, that's wonderful. And how long have you been in that post? So I've been uh, assisting for about, this is, I think this is my pre-COVID. So this is probably third, fourth year now, uh, assisting, uh, second year, third year doing the youth. And so we are, we are, we are a labor of love with them. And so uh, it's been an amazing time, though, just being back in the mother church and serving, uh, being a blessing to our pastor and his wife and them, all, all that we have going on here. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get to this eventually. But uh, you um, you had also pioneered a church. Tell us a little bit about uh, about that experience. Oh, yeah, man. Hey, pioneering was great. So. I enjoyed pioneering it. Uh, we, uh, and we'll get into this probably a little bit later, but, uh, we got sent out in 2000. We got announced in 2013 conference. We got, we actually went to the city. We went to Hope Mills first, uh, Pastor Tori Williams is my pastor. And so, uh, we were the first church plant out of, uh, out of Victory Chapel here in Spring Lake. And so, uh, we went out in 20, got hit the ground running in 2014 at Hope Mills. My, my wife, actually the first week we got, into the into our house there in Hope Mills. Um, well, let me go back just a little second. So we got announced to go out. I preached my farewell sermon. Our our engine on our van blew up, 
the the week or so before we were about to move to Hope Mills. And so I was preaching my farewell sermon and God told me that somebody in the church is going to give me a van. Uh, and so a guy comes up to me and he's beelining right to me and God, God, God just whispered to me, that's him. And, uh, he was kind of new in the church. And so, uh, but they gave me their van on the, the night uh, I preached my farewell sermon. So we had a van to go. And so we get the Hope Mills and my wife had to leave, uh, to go take care of, take care of family matter. And so we, I hit the ground running, uh, you know, uh, first, first week I was there, when they handed out flyers and uh, we, we ended up uh, seeing about 20 people in our house. Uh, and then we went from our house uh, to a building in Fayetteville, North Carolina, actually right across the street from where I went to college at. I went to college at Fayetteville State. Uh, and so uh, if you know anything about Fayetteville, all you have to say is, is Murchison Road or the Merck, as they call it. And so uh, that's where we were. And um we we pioneered an awesome work out of off the, off of the Merck right across from Fayetteville State, and so uh, it was a fantastic time. We when we when we ended up coming in coming back in, we 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 bought about we bought three couples with us, and we bought uh, a, a, a single lady named Maria and uh, her her daughter Katie. Uh, we all we all came over here to Spring Lake together, and so uh, it was fantastic. I enjoyed my time pioneering. It was it was wonderful. Praise God. That is fantastic. What a great report. So thank you for that. We, uh, as you know, uh, well, we should share with the audience that uh, you've been a, a listener to the podcast for a little while. Why don't you let them know uh, how long? Uh, so so I've been listening to the podcast probably for two years now. Um, and so uh, it's funny because uh, we were going to Cincinnati, uh, last summer we went to Cincinnati and, uh, my pastor, pastor Ed Tejero, he's like, uh, Hey, have you listened to uh, the testimony Tuesdays? And have you listened to the podcast? And I was like, yeah, I listened to it. And so he's like, no, nah, no. Nah. He's like, that's only a little bit of it. Have you listened to that? And I didn't know anything about the premium version. So he's like, no, nah, <laughs> you got to get the premium version. Cause we had listened to the, 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 I guess the, the unsubscribed version. Right. And so it cuts off right at the good part. And so, He's like, nah, man. So we plug his phone in and I get to listen to the rest of the testimony. I forget who testimony we was listening to. And so I'm, I'm right there in the van. I subscribe to the premium. And uh, man, I tell you, we listen to podcasts all the way to Cincinnati <laughs> from North Carolina and all the way back. So it has been a blessing to my life. I drive for a living. So I do uh, I do pest control, but I, I work a, what they call a, a out of town route. And so um, I'm driving most of the time. My closest stop to my house is, pro- is is no no less than 30 minutes. So I get I I, I burn the podcast up, man. Oh, that's great. That's uh, it's awesome to hear. It's uh, been a blessing to you. Well, that is great, man. So encouraging. You know, w- one of the um, one of the downfalls of podcasting is, I mean, it's great that we can have a conversation like this. It's like a fellowship, you know, and that's why we listen to podcasts. It's it's almost a form of listening into uh, a fellowship, which is cool. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's very one sided as a podcast producer. We don't get a lot of feedback, so like like that that's wonderful for me to hear that you know somebody like you is is benefiting from all of these episodes so thank you for that we appreciate you no no problem yeah yeah it has definitely been a blessing for sure awesome well so let's get into your testimony and uh so you uh as you know if, as you've heard before we like to uh go back to the beginning where it all started so tell us about your upbringing and where you grew up all right, so I grew up in a small town in North Carolina called Pollocksville, North Carolina, Pollocksville, North Carolina. So I have to say it like that because people, my, I got a country twang to me, and so people be like, <laughs> Pollocksville, or they'll say something weird. So it is Pollux, Pollocksville. And so don't try to look it up on the map because you probably won't find it. <laughs> it is it is think- literally, uh, if many of you know, go ahead. I said I think I've driven through it uh, on the way down to Jacksonville, right? Yeah, more than likely, probably. Uh, and, and, and so it is literally maybe 20, 30 minutes outside of Jacksonville, North Carolina. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's where I grew up at. Uh, very agricultural town, uh, very, very rural. Um, you know, uh, my graduating class, everybody, you know, some people don't even know 
everybody in that graduating class, everybody in my graduating class, we knew. It was 70-something of us. And so everybody knew everybody. Uh, we had been together since elementary school, So and, and nobody really left or, or came in. It was pretty much the same people my whole, uh, you know, from elementary school on up to high school. So uh, a very small town. And so, uh, yeah, that's where I grew up. And my mom, uh, my mom, there's five of us. And so my mom, uh, pretty much my mom's a trooper, man. My mom's been taking care of uh, parents, if you will, uh, pretty much my whole life. Um, she, she, uh, she's, a, she's a trooper. And so I say that because um, we, in this small town, uh, you know, jobs and stuff like that are not easy to come by. My mom's one of those folks that when she gets a job, she keeps it. And so when we, when we were from elementary school about to middle of middle school, my mom worked for a school supply company. They closed down. My dad uh, was a, he was a moving, he worked for a, a moving company. And so he would do long distance moves sometimes. So he'd be gone uh, sometimes for days at the time and he'd come back home. But, uh, and, and so he died uh, actually on Father's Day of me going into my high school year, the, uh, on, uh, of me going into uh, high school right before that summer, I was going to go into high school the next year. And uh, he got murdered uh, actually at a, uh, we call them hole in the walls. And so that's in the country, you don't go to clubs, you go to hole in the walls. So it's normally somebody's house or a barn or something that they've converted. And so um, people just gather there. Something Most of the time it's out in a rural place somewhere because, you know, there's drinking and stuff going on sometimes. You don't want the police to find you. And so um, my, my dad was there with his friends, and this guy comes in that nobody really knew. Uh, he was drinking with everybody else, got upset. Uh, he begins to uh, get in a fight. My dad's a, a tall, skinny guy. And so, but he's a mover, so he's strong. So, uh, he, he, the guy was way bigger than him. And so he ended up beating the guy up. Uh, the guy says, I'm gonna go get my gun. He goes to do that. And then, uh, so they just, everybody's trying to leave. And as everybody's trying to leave, he shoots, starts shooting in the parking lot. Uh, my dad's friend's son was, uh, was at the, at the hole in the wall with them. And, uh, my dad runs out, the story goes, my dad runs out to try to get him out of, you know, out of the open. And when he got him out of the open, he picked him up, moved and put him down, and he kept running into a field, and uh, they found him in a field, and so he had got shot with a, a hollow point right through the heart. So mm. uh, we went through that. Or, yeah, we went through that, like uh, me going right into high school. And so going into high school, you know, uh, I had a, I have an older brother. I'm the second oldest. I have an older brother, and, you know, I, got, uh, my, I have my sister that's right under me, and I have a baby sister and a baby brother at the time. And so I remember my mom getting the news and uh, I remember her answering the phone. So we had been to church that day. It was a Sunday. We had been to church and uh, my mom just collapses on the floor in the, in the kitchen. And we're like, you know, what's going on? And we, we were kids, so we didn't really understand everything that was going on. And so, you know, I just remember going outside, looking at his car and uh, there was a dove sitting on top of his car. Now, a little uh, about maybe eight months or so before that, if I remember correctly, my grandfather had passed. And so right before my grandfather passed, there was a dove sitting on the roof above his window. And so, you know, we were getting all these signs about people passing. It was kind of kind of a strange thing at the time as kids. We didn't understand it all. But that's one of the things, one of the events I remember uh, during that time. And so uh, from there, uh, family starts kicking in, helping my mom. And uh, my mom was actually taking care of my dad's mom, so to speak, at the time. And then um, when when my dad's mom ended up going into a nursing home, we ended up going to my, my mom's mom's house and uh, we moved in with her. And when we moved in with her, uh, she eventually became sick uh, early onset of dementia, uh, maybe a couple of years after we moved in. And we all took care of her for the rest of my high school years. And so uh, my mom kept us in church, though. Uh, we were always in church. I was always in choir. I was always in something in the church. Uh, dramas. I actually wrote a uh, black history play uh, for the youth group at one point. So, um, you know, we were always in church. And, and that's a that's a whole nother story. We were raised in a Baptist church. And so, uh, you know how that go. You see you see all the hooping and hollering and the, the shouting. And, you know, it's, uh, I, I didn't had never heard anybody speak in tongues before I got in our fellowship. Uh, and so my whole perception of that is if you got the Holy Ghost or something, or if you were speaking in tongues, you had to be somebody special. 
Uh, you had to be some anointed person, you know, or you had to be a sister or a mother or a deacon or somebody that of high stature. So I had never heard it before. And so a uh, small church, you know, and so uh, my my memory of church from that time was, you know, everything is you go to hell. Uh, and so that, that's how that's the perception of the preaching I got. You go to hell if you breathe wrong. You go to hell if you, you know, you don't, you don't, you know, do well in school. You, everything was like, you go to hell, you go to hell. And so I adopted the mindset that, well, if I'm going to go to hell anyway, because I don't matter what you do, it seems like you go to hell. I'm just going to be okay with that. And I'll just live my life. That's kind of the perception I got out of church growing up. So that kind of built a cynicism inside of you, huh? Yeah, kind of sort of. I'm, I'm, I was one of those people where I wasn't totally, I, I was religious. So I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily uh cynic of the gospel. I was just like, okay, this is what it is. We're going to, you can try to live good if you want, but you know, as long as you're a good person, I thought you were making in. So I was like, okay, well, you know, I kind of got some wisdom later on. It wasn't all the way right, but I figured if I do good things, good things will come back to me. I didn't categorize that as anything. I didn't, you know, categorize it as like Hinduism or anything. I just figured that's that's the way it was. And so I just tried to be a nice guy. To be honest, I just tried to be nice. I, I tried not to, you know, do wrong things. My mom raised us very well, uh, even to this day. You know, I, it's, it's, I'm, I'm 30. I have to ask my wife to verify, but I think I'm 38. <laughs> so uh, I... I uh, I, I still say, yes, sir. No, sir. Uh, no, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You know, that's how we were raised. And so uh, you respect your elders, you know, you do those things. And so uh, I really didn't, I really wasn't, a, so to speak, a bad kid. Now, uh, what happened to me was my, when my dad passed, I went through a few years of anger. And now that I know what it is, I, a spirit of anger uh, fell upon me. And so uh, I was a terror of the house for two years. Nobody wanted to be around me in my house. Nobody wanted to uh, hang out with me pretty much. I mean, me and my older brother, we hung out. We played video games. But I, if I lose, I get mad. I punch holes in walls. I throw the controller. I broke a couple of things. You know, there's probably still a hole in my grandmother's wall that I put in there under the light socket in my room from punching it because I was losing in Madden. Uh, I was, I was playing with the Cowboys and of course, you know how that goes. And so, um, yeah, not great. You know, yeah, not great, not great. And so, uh, I was, you know, I just, I was mad. I was angry all the time. And so I, my mom actually ended up putting me on punishment for a year. Uh, and back in those days, you couldn't take stuff from kids like cell phones and all that. So it was basically, you're going to go to school, you're going to come home. Uh, we were active in RTC. We we're active in like football, basketball, uh, and all that. And so in a small town like that, that's all you got. And Walmart, you, you go to, you, if you're hanging out, you're going to hang out in Walmart parking lot for eons. That's what you do. You don't, on Friday nights, you don't go, there's no mall to go to. There's no, everything closes at like eight. So there's nothing to do late at night, except for either you're going to go to some hole in the wall, you'll go to somebody's house or you'll hang out at Walmart in the parking lot. And so that's what we did. We were, we were Walmart warriors. We hung out in the parking lot all night long at Walmart. And so she told me I couldn't go anywhere for a year and, uh, she stuck to it, man. That's a, that was the longest punishment of my life. And so, uh, I remember it and, uh, my anger took me to the point where she even called the cops on me one time. And so, uh, yeah, she almost took me to juvenile and dropped me off one time. And so, uh, I was just an angry, angry kid. And so, uh, uh, I would fight at the drop of a dime. I, I got, I got in a fight on the bus, ended up uh, knocking this boy unconscious on the bus. And he wasn't even picking on me. He was picking on my cousin. And uh, my cousin was asleep. I was like, leave him alone. And uh, he was like, no, uh, you know, I'll mess with you too. And he, he said to me, he said, uh, if you, if you don't, if you don't uh, watch what you're doing, I'm going to put you in the ground beside your dad. I blacked out. Next thing I know, the, uh, the bus driver was pulling me off of him and uh, I'm getting, I'm getting kicked off the bus. Now, the, the good thing about living in a small town is your name means something in a small town. So my mom had a good reputation in my hometown. Her kids had a reputation of being good kids. So we went to the principal's office the next day. I didn't get suspended, but he did. And the only reason and I, I should have got suspended because I, I beat him up pretty good. And uh, I probably should have got expelled. I would have I would have for sure got expelled in this day and age. But um. 
the the principal was like, oh well, you you uh, you're, you're, you know you're, your mom raised you right. You're a good kid. Um, you know he he for sure had to do something to push you to this point. And they're like, all right, so we're suspending you, and they just let me go. So, uh, you know, it, it says something to have a good name. Yeah, well, that's important. And um, so why don't you explain a little bit for us town folk that grew up in large cities a a little bit more about why um, this had such a profound effect on your personality and the person that you became? Absolutely. So um, the and, and growing up again in a small town, your name means something. So um, from that time of be, me being angry, I used to write poetry a lot. So I wrote these series of poems called The Nice Guy. And so I got into this thing where I was like, OK, nice guys always finish last and all this other stuff. And so I, I try to put, adopt this persona. And um, my older brother, uh, it was a womanizer. <laughs> and so. I, I looked at his life and I was like, I don't really want to be that. I wasn't I wasn't confident in myself either. Uh, I was a chubby kid, heavyset kid, always been heavyset. Uh, and so, um, you know, I wasn't very confident in myself as far as that goes because my brother's skinny, he's athletic. And so, you know, he, he, he was talking to all the girls and doing all that. So I was like, well, I can't do that. But what I can do is be a good friend. So I was a good friend. Uh, all throughout high school. Um, And I was always, it's funny how God does things. I was always, always interested. One girl at the time, it was never, oh, I want to date this girl and that girl and sleep with this girl and that girl. I was always like monogamy focused. And so, and if I didn't, then the problem was normally the girl that I liked didn't like me. So, or she didn't know I liked her. And so um, that anger ended up again, filtering in other areas. So I, I ended up getting in a couple fights uh, and sometimes you guys really didn't know why I was fighting them, but normally it was probably because the girl showed them some attention or something to that nature. But um, I met my cousin, and my cousin was a very upbeat, cheery girl. And she was like, she told me something, and I'll never forget it. She said, you know you have the ability to choose whether you're going to be angry or not. And that just stuck with me. Uh, I think I was a junior at the time in high school. And she says to me, she said, yeah, you have, you can control whether you're going to be angry or not. And I was like, huh. And so she was like, I'm gonna get you out of this. And I'm thinking, okay, whatever. But her, her spirit was infectious. Uh, and so I, I, I began to break out of that funk, uh, you know, and, and, and fast forwarding to now, um, I, well, still in high school, still, I actually, uh, graduated when I graduated, you know, they give you superlatives. So I ended up getting Mr. Best Personality of all things, <laughs> out of all things in uh, high school. And then uh, from high school on to college, uh, you know, I just carried on that, you know, hang with everybody, kind of just be everybody's friend. Uh, you know, not really. Uh, my wife always says I, I was nonchalant. And so I, I, I embodied it. That's nonchalantless. Like I didn't really have a planned direction, really didn't care too much about, you know, certain things, I would just kind of go with the flow. And so uh, that's kind of how my personality developed into my adult years. I just kind of went with the flow. I went to college because my brother went there. I didn't really have a plan to go to college. I just went to Fayetteville State because my brother went there. And so he ended up leaving me going into the military. So I was like, I don't really have anything else to do, so I'm going to stay here. So I stayed there and uh, ended up kind of making my own way from that. And, uh, yeah, that I just kind of kept my personality the same, uh, you know, just, you know, uh, beside the anger, instead of anger, I was just, all right, we're going to just go with the flow with life, you know? And, uh, and then just, you know, it's funny because, uh, Pastor Williams always says, man, you were the coolest disciple to ever try to come in this church, you know? Uh, cause I didn't, I didn't really care. Like I came, everything had, everything had a, for me, it was just like, you know, it is what it is. That was my statement. That was always my saying. It is what it is. And so I would, I, I had, I came into the church, uh, I was still in college. And so, uh, it was funny cause I got witnessed to twice. And so I got witnessed to once when I was dating, well, I wasn't dating my wife at the time I was, I was single. And so me, my brother and my sister who we all, my brother came back from basic by the way. So he came back and was here in Fayetteville. He got stationed at Fort Bragg and my sister ended up coming to Fayetteville state as a freshman. And so, um, we were all here in the city of Fayetteville. We were at a Walmart and, uh, uh this brother, uh, his name was Ron Briggs. And so he comes and uh, he 
walks in between my brother and sister and he gives me a flyer to come to church. And this is our church. And, uh, you know, my brother and sister are offended. They're like, oh, what are we doing? We don't look like Christians. We don't look like we go to church. Like, why did he give it to you? And, I, you know, I didn't think nothing of it. I was just like, I don't know. Maybe he didn't see y'all. But they were, you know, they're trying to rationalize this. They're like, no, he had to walk in between us to give give you the flyer. I have no idea why this guy gave me the flyer. Fast forward some, uh, maybe a year or so later, uh, me and my wife are dating. Uh, she She's coming over to my apartment. We're getting groceries out. And uh, 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 we're about to go upstairs. I'm about to cook and do all this. And the same guy, Ron Briggs, comes and gives me uh, gives gives her a flyer. Now at this time, I'm totally close to the gospel. I didn't I did not like church or nothing like that. But I didn't I wasn't trying to go. And my wife was. My, she was my again my girlfriend at the time. She was trying to get her life right. She was trying to be on the right path. And so we had just kind of started dating. And so she told me she said, Well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to this church and you know. But she said, you know, you can go. She invited me to go, but I didn't go. I was like, nope, I'm going to work. I ain't got time for that. And so I ended up going to work. She ended up coming and she loved it. And she ended up getting invited to the pastor's house that night, the first night. And so I tell her, she tells, she texts me and tells me that she's going to get invited to the pastor's house. And I'm like, all right, tell me the address because they don't just do that. I said, and don't drink anything because I said, you know, they be trying to give people stuff in them drinks. So don't be drinking nothing. And so oh my goodness. Um, you know, she goes and she tells me about it. She has a great time. And so eventually I'm like, you know, what? I'll go. And I end up going. And when I get there, uh, uh, it was it was a new converts class or something they were having. I can't exactly remember. It wasn't it had to be a new converts class because it wasn't church. And um, uh, actually, the same guy, Ron Briggs, was doing the new converts class. And I sit down and, I'm, you know, they ask, you know, who wants to read the scripture? And so I'm raising my hand because I've been in church. So I knew how to act. So I'm reading it and I'm and I'm telling you, I fell in love with this church. I fell in love with everybody in there, but I couldn't let my wife know that because I was still cool and I was trying to be hard. So she asked me afterwards, she's like, How was it? Well, yeah, you know, it was all right, you know. Uh we can still look around, but it was all right, you know. So trying to be hard, but I knew from that point on that I was gonna stay in this church, in this fellowship. So Wow, that's pretty powerful. Well, so I, I want to go back just a little bit to uh, to yeah, what you described fine. when when you were younger that when your when your father was murdered, um, that has to have a mm-hmm. profound impact on on you. Um, so I, I wonder if maybe it sounds to me like you were processing that through through the anger, you know, that you got getting in fights and stuff like that. But um, can can you describe m- maybe a little bit more of you know, what it was like for you to process through all of that and, and where, you know, how do you think about it to this day? Okay. So back then I, I did not process it properly a hundred percent cause I didn't understand it. Uh, the, the man who killed my father was, uh, way older. And so, um, he, we actually recently got a letter, uh, asked cause he's up for probation is, 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 it's not funny, but it's just, it's a coincidence. I, I honestly thought he had passed away already. So, cause, he, cause, like I said, he was already older when when this happened. But um, I, I, I did not, I did, I never developed a hatred for the guy. I just did never develop this hatred for him. I was just mad at life. I think I was just mad because my dad wasn't there. Uh, it's those things that you don't know. You know, you don't know you need your dad until you know you're faced with the situation of girls, and you know, uh, are you adequate enough? Um, you know, what should you do in certain situations? Uh, you know, uh, just all that, all that dads do, you know, my, I started football, right. And so in, in, in high school, I played football, I played, uh, I was nose tackle. And then I also uh, played on the offensive line for a very brief period of time. They ended up leaving me a nose tackle, but, um, I ended up developing allergies to grass. And so in the country ain't nothing but grass. So fresh cut grass will swell my eyes up like golf balls. And so, um, my mom was like, yeah, you know, you can, you can quit because, you know, I don't want you to have swollen eyes and all this other stuff. Looking back, had I had my dad probably been there, he'd probably been like, suck it up, put some water on it. Because that's the thing in the country. Water solves everything. You put water on it and you keep playing. <laughs> just a little water, huh? That's it. Yeah. Just, hey, water. That was that was like, if your leg breaks and your bone is hanging out, they'll tell you to put water on it. It'll be okay. You know, I remember getting a, a little boo-boo uh, when I was a kid because you play in the dirt and rocks all the time. And so, 
uh, you know, you get scratched up pretty good. So my, I had a big old cut on my leg. I go tell my dad, and my dad pours beer on it. You know, he's like, all right, you're good. Go play. You know, so that's that's the mentality. But, yeah, um, that's, that's you know, I, again, just pro- not processing it properly. Uh, I needed my dad. I needed a dad. I needed a man to uh, help me uh, get through those years because, like I said, I was going into high school. High school is when the girls come. High school is when, you know, uh, the macho stuff comes and all this. And so just not processing it properly um, and not processing what what and all is going on uh, in life. Um, so I, I think I, I think that's where the anger really boiled down to. And actually, I didn't say this, but I'm going to say it now. So my dad, my mom actually started dating a guy. I can't I'm terrible with times as far as like uh, years. But um, my, my mom started dating this guy maybe two years or so after my dad had passed and uh you know i, I ended up so this guy's a nice guy great guy he he ended up developing a, a sickness i think it was cancer of some kind and he ended up passing uh maybe a few years after my mom started talking to him but he was a nice guy he stayed in greenville which was uh, again greenville's 30 minutes the other way uh from where we live and so this guy will come down and see my mom every friday uh he began to take on dates and stuff and so uh, it finally comes a time for us to meet his kids. And my mom is like, okay, she explains to me. She explains to everybody, you know, she sits us down. Hey, we're going to go on this outing. You know, Bernard was the guy's name. Bernard is going to take us, uh, you know, with his and his kids are going to be there. So we're all going to meet. And so this guy, man, he sets up a day. We go out. We go to Pizza Hut. He that's This is the first thing we do. We meet there. We go to Pizza Hut. He takes us. He treats everybody, pays for everything. We go to the arcade. We play in the arcade all day. And then, uh, and so the whole time, though, you know, him and my mom are trying to be, you know, cutesy and hold hands and, and, and walk and, and just do all the things that, you know, a dating couple does. Well, they had a guy named Deontay in the way. Everybody else was being normal. Everybody else was doing their own thing. Uh, even my little brother, my little sister, they were doing their own things. Deontay was being the police for his mom. Deont- this guy would try to hold my mom's hand. I'm coming in between them, smacking hands apart. Like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the pest, man. I'm not having fun. I'm policing. I'm watching her. So if he tries to put his arm around, I'm coming getting in between them. If, you know, if, if he, you know, if they try to go off to the side of, I'm right there. I'm, I'm like stuck to it, like white on rice. Like, nope, you ain't gonna have my mom. And so, uh, you know, so we, we, we do all, I do all that stuff. We, he ends up after the arcade, he ends up taking us to, uh, Burger King. Now this man has already treated cause my mom has five kids and he has three. So, and plus the adult. So he has treated everybody all day long. Then he takes us to Burger King after the arcade. And so we go there, and my mom tells everybody, she said, look, stay in the van. We're going to get y'all something to drink. We'll be right back. What does Deontay do? Deontay does not stay in the van. My older brother at the time was like, listen, man, why you just can't listen? Just do what mom says. Stand up. And I was like, no, I got to go check on something. And he's like, you don't got to go check on anything. You're just trying to be nosy. He's like, you need to chill. Stay in the van. I'm like, no, I'm going out there. So I go in there. I in my mind, I saw them by the bathroom kissing. In my mind, I saw this. I walk into the bird camp. I see this. And I kick in the bathroom door, the men's bathroom door, because I'm in I'm I'm now enraged. And this is the first time I ever felt rage. I didn't know what that was, but this is the first time I ever felt rage. And so I'm going somewhere with this. This is the first time I ever felt the spirit of rage on me. I didn't know what it was as a kid. But I go in the bathroom, I kick the door, and I remember vividly there's a guy in there using the bathroom he's 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 using the bathroom and the urinal and he jumps to the side i don't know if he was finished or what but he jumped to the side because i kicked the door so hard i go in there and i'm like man i can't believe he's kissing my mom that's what they want to do they want to get away from me so he can kiss my mom and blah 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 blah. so I'm, I'm going off in this bathroom i said i got something for him so i go out there now mind you i just saw them in my mind kissing at the corner of the bathroom they're at the checkout counter paying and waiting for the for the drinks they're talking they're not even arms linked close to each other i go around the corner i saw what you did to my mom and i mount this dude like from behind and i just start welling on him and and he's he's not a tall guy but he's a stocky guy he used to be a wrestler i find this out later on he used to be a, a state champ wrestler in high school and so i'm jumped on this guy man and i'm just pounding him in, in burger king my mom who was like four foot nothing 
my mom grabs me by the collar. She body slams me in Burger King and drags me out of the Burger King one handed. And so that's when I knew my mom wasn't nothing to play with. She always told us stories about how she beat guys up, but I didn't believe it until that day. And so my anger had taken me to that point that I was willing to fight an adult, which was totally out of my character, totally out of anything that I would ever do. So that, like I said, rage. And so my mom is, is, is we drive home. I done ruined the day for everybody. His kids are in the car. I'm, and I had to sit beside one of his sons. So I'm sitting there thinking like this kid going to try to fight me because I just jumped on his dad. He doesn't. And so we end up going home. My mom tells everybody to get out of the car. She uh, tells me to apologize to this guy. I've never been defiant to my mom ever before this. Never been indignant to my mom. It's always, you know, we kids, so we, you know, we'll talk back here and there, but we always get corrected and whatever. My mom told me to apologize to this guy, and I would not do it. Like, I was like, no, you can beat me. You can do whatever. I'm not going to do it. And so that's the first time I remember how good, and it felt good to be rebellious. It felt good to have this rage. It felt good to be, uh, be angry. It felt good. Like I felt like I had this power, like I had this, uh, ability that, you know, no, no matter what, my mom can't even make me act right. And so I, I kept that. And so this, I kept that up until the point, like I said, I met my cousin. I kept that. I was that way. My mom, my, my mom should have kicked me out of the house several times. My mom should have called the police on me several times because I was just out of control with that. I wasn't violent all the time, but you, I would feel that rage come. And when I would feel that rage come, it was nothing you could do. I remember one time I get so mad, I'm going, I grab the curtains and I put the curtains around my neck and I'm like, kill me, kill me. And I'm, and I'm doing all this stuff and, it, it, and I'm not registering what I'm even doing. Right. But it's just it's demonic manifestations. Now that I know what I know now, I know that's what it was. But rage, rage, and anger had a had a hold on me, man. And I had a I had a hair trigger, so it was easy to it was easy to get me to to go to go in. Yeah, wow. Uh, I'm wondering if you can uh, speak to that because uh, you know this is still a huge problem with many, many, especially young men in this generation. Yes. And, uh, yeah. <clears throat> generally what it means to grow up means to get a handle on your sexuality and also on your anger. Mm -hmm. So can you, uh, can you mm -hmm. talk to those young men or, or to pastors who are dealing with young men or parents of those young men? And um, how do we help them overcome that? Absolutely. A hundred percent. To be honest, in that time, in that knowing what I know now, I don't think I, they got to be in a place to receive it because I wasn't like you. So you, you got to have patience. Um, a lot of times nowadays, what I've noticed and just listening to other podcasts and stuff like that. Um, one of the things that I've, I've heard is that and it's very true. We don't teach our kids anything. We tell them what to do. We tell them to do this, but we don't actually teach them. We don't take the time to teach them because life is busy. We just need you to get it. And so and, and we don't have time for you to mess up several times. We don't have time to tell you, oh, do this again. Do this again. We don't have time. I got in, uh, in my house. I tell my kids, you know, get up, wash your face, brush your teeth, uh, get ready for the day. That's that's what that's the first three things you should be doing. Well, when you have to tell a kid that every day and then when you check behind them, they're not doing it. You the parents either get tired of doing it or they just don't do it. They say, oh, that kid just a lost cost and they don't. They don't worry about it. They don't keep the main thing the main thing. What I've had to tell myself is I can't get tired of telling my kid the same thing. Yes, they don't know. Yes, they're going to mess up. Yes, you long-suffering, the Bible tells us we're going to long-suffer. That's, you know, that's that's part of love. You know, that's part of what love is. Love is long-suffering. And so you have to be able to suffer along with your children. Um, and thank God I had a mom who was willing to suffer along with me. Uh, my mom uh, had us in church, like I said, my whole life. And so um, my mom was really uh, that image for me. My grandmother was the first Christian I ever saw, legit Christian. But my mom was that was that that foundation looking back. And so uh, pastors dealing with because they're dealing with the youth I have here. 
Man, they got some testimonies, man, that'll make you cringe. My testimony would, is nothing compared to these kids. Uh, some of them, you know, 14 years old, they're drug dealers and all this other stuff. And so, um, you know, they've been through life. They live life by 15. Like, at 15, there's, there's nothing left for them to do but get saved. There's no other because they've done everything else, you know. And so you have to learn to suffer along with your kids. You have to be patient. Uh, you have to be uh, willing to have those conversations. My second oldest daughter is very strong-willed. And so um, dealing with strong-willed children is a thing. So um, I'm one of those where I, I have time. I'll wait. I'll wait. I've stood in the bathroom because, you know, you discipline your child. We, you know, Pastor Williams used to put on uh, Reb. I don't know if you've ever seen that uh, Reb uh, uh, Sunday School Reb, series. Yeah, Reb, Reb Bradley. Uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like all right, little Johnny, I'm going to give you three licks. And, then, and so I was kind of trying to do my version of Reb. And so I would tell my daughter, okay, hey, you did this, you're going to get three lashes or you're going to get five, you know, five, I call them licks. You're going to get five licks. And we would go in the bathroom and I would always be like, okay, because, you know, Rev said you got to spank them on the, on the square on the bottom, right? And so I was always careful, especially with my girls, not to like crazy spank them. I never wanted to hit them, you know, in other places other than their butt. So, you know, I, I would tell her, turn around, and she would not. She had that same thing I had where I'm going. she's going to be indignant. She's not going to do it. It don't matter what you do. You can tell her a million times. She's not going to do it. And so I would uh, I, I would stand there and say, okay, and the, every every minute you don't do it, that's a, that's a uh, uh, you know, extra lick. And I remember one time we got up to 30-something licks. She remembers the story. She actually talked about it not too long ago and she finally turns around after like i get to like 30 31 somewhere up in there and she got all 30 31 and so um you just but you have to be consistent they have to know hey if you give them a punishment you're gonna stick to it can't be no waffling uh kids that deal with anger they need that for me especially i needed that that whatever my mom said she had she knew she had to stick to that year-long punishment because if she didn't i would have pushed over after that so she stuck with it, and uh, she enforced it. And it was no get out of it. It didn't matter what I did. I couldn't. I couldn't buy my way out of that one. I couldn't, you know, do enough good things to make to get time. It was no get out of jail free card with her. It was okay. You're going to serve this year, and so that's what kids need nowadays. A lot of these kids, people don't have time for them, and so I. I and and we do frontline youth here is what we call our youth ministry. And so um, the, my biggest thing with them is I want to be I want to make it more than just, OK, I come and I preach to you. No, I want to I want to get involved in your life. I want to know what's going on. OK, if you got if you got a, a baseball game or something like that, we want to support you. Uh, we had a family here, some boys, they box. We, 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 we tried to make as many of their boxing matches as we could. When they graduate, we're celebrating birthdays. We celebrate it. Because these small things, these kids don't get. And, and I credit a lot of that to my wife because my wife's very intentional in that way. And so I've learned a lot from her in that area. She's very intentional to celebrate people. Uh, and so, you know, she's always making sure that that gets done. And so, yeah, that's, that, that's if I could give any advice, that would be it. L learn to long suffer. Learn to be patient uh, with these teens uh, in that area. And, and just don't be their friend. You don't need you don't need to be their friend. This generation has told adults we got to be their friend. I'm not your friend. I tell my kids that all the time. I'm your dad. I'm not gonna be your friend. You're not gonna like me. And guess what? That's okay. But you're gonna I'm gonna be your dad. And that's how I was raised. My mom would say that to me. Yeah, you may not like me, but I'm gonna be your mom. And so I think kids need that. Yeah, yeah. Your children are not your accessory. They're not the reason for Absolutely. your being. Um, you are supposed to play a role. Absolutely. So, um, so it sounds like your cousin had a lot to do with you being able to get over that. And uh, she gave you that revelation yeah. that you are able to decide yeah. what you, what, uh, what kind of attitude you're going to have in life and what a powerful revelation that was. So talk about how, um, well, you mentioned when, when you first got a flyer, you were not so hot about going to church. So nope. not at how, all. How, like, how did you, uh, how did you wanted to be the nice guy? You kind of demonstrated that through high school, but talk about what was happening in your mm -hmm. spiritual life, you know, coming up out of the church environment and, you know, grown up g being involved with everything that was happening there. Um, so wh why, why were you turned off to the church life, um, and maybe even the gospel? 
Good question. Glad you asked. <laughs> so somebody listen to the podcast. My church going to get that. So anyway, but yeah, so, um, no, uh, uh, so going to that, that little Baptist church that I was going to, it wasn't so little, but it was, it was, a, it was, a you know, it's a small town. So, um, we had a pastor there. And again, uh, not being ignorant, that that wasn't the reality. Everything he preached wasn't, you're going to go to hell. But that was all I heard as a kid. But anyway, so I, we went there, and uh, the church actually started growing. And it's funny because uh, what he his vision for the youth was for the youth, rather. He started to realize that the adults wanted things to stay the same. And he knew that God is not a monument. God is a movement. And so you can't just stay the same. We can't just keep singing these same songs out of the hymn book. It's okay. We're going to throw Kirk Franklin in here. We're going to throw, you know, some Ty Tribute in here. It's okay. We're going to throw some of this other stuff in here and, it, and it'll be okay. And we'll let the young people take that. Well, they, the adults didn't like that too much. So uh, just, and I, and, and I, and I verified this, you know, with my mom some, some time ago, cause I had to preach about it, but I told, uh, so basically we got, it got to a point where, my pastor at that church at the time was beginning to uh, really invest in the youth. And so he would take us to his uh, preaching engagements. Like, so in, in that, in the Baptist church, a lot of times the pastors that they have a good choir and we did, you would take the choir with you uh, when you went to preach at other churches. It wasn't that it wasn't their song service that did the, the service. You basically in, infiltrated their church and you, you took over. And so uh, he would begin to take the kids because the kids were the ones that were showing up. The youth were showing up. And our parents, of course, credit to our parents. Our parents were showing up and taking us. And so I was getting drugged around the church a lot. And so with the choir and all this. And so uh, long story short, uh, something happened. I, I can't 100% know uh, factually what happened because, again, I was around 14 or so at the time. So I don't uh, uh, 100% know. But I remember one Sunday, one Saturday, we normally have choir practice on Saturday mornings. We end up going to uh, church on a Saturday and my mom begins to explain to us on the way over there that, Hey, um, you know, this, uh, there's going, we're going, when you guys get there, there's going to be a meeting and they're going to say some stuff, just be prepared. Don't react. But, uh, you know, they, they're trying to vote out the pastor basically what she got to. And so she said, you know, we, all y'all are members. So your vote counts don't, no matter what they say. And, um, you know, we want to keep him. And so we go there and uh, we, it's like, it's like a sheep going to the slaughter, man. All the kids and the youth are on one side of the, the, the fellowship hall, all the, the adults and, you know, the people that have been there forever on the other side. And, you know, I remember the doors opening the pastor and his wife coming there, walking down and there, you know, it's, 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 it's a crazy thing to see. It's like a movie in my head, but uh, you know, and they walk down and they sit at the head table and then they begin to bring all these accusations against them. Oh, you took money. You did this, you did this. They're going over the goal, the, well, we call it a goal sheet, but they're going over the budget. They're talking about where all these funds have been allocated to and who didn't get paid and all this stuff. And, you know, and he, him and his wife, as far as I remember, don't say a word. And um, they, end, they end up taking the vote. We won the vote for him to stay. There was more of us, but then they started saying, oh, well, you know, these kids aren't members and they haven't been back in all this other legal stuff that they're trying to get into. And um, I remember him getting up with his wife and basically saying, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to stay here. And they leave. And that was it. And that turned me off from church because I began to think to myself, oh, if this is what church is, people do this in the streets. We do this. In, we do this in the streets. We talk about each other. We turn our backs on each other. If I want to, if I, if that's what church is, I'm good. I don't want to be a part of that. So I ended up not, I ended up, you know, kind of, we would still have to go cause my mom would make us, but, uh, cause in the church went on that church went in a downward spiral, so to speak, even to this day, the youth have never returned to that church is it, they, they don't have a youth scene in that church. And at the time, that was what the church was. It was a heavy youth presence, a lot of vibrant. There was life because if you got youth, you got life because there's there's expectation for the future if you got youth. And so to this day, that church does not have youth in it. So a lot of those same old people are still there um, if they haven't passed. So, um, you know, it, it, and so that's what really turned me off from church. Uh, seeing how people acted, you know, these people that, you know, were worshiping and saying all these good things about the pastor outwardly. But then we go in this meeting behind closed doors where kids more than likely shouldn't have been. But because of what was going on, they needed our vote um, to help. And even still, it didn't. And so um, 
that's what really turned me off from church. Uh, I went a couple times, you know, like I said, I never went on my own though after that. And then Ron comes along, give me this fire and I knew I wasn't going. And so, um, uh, my wife, uh, at the time, so we, we make this thing. We're like, okay, we need to get our lives together. If we're going to want this relationship to go forward. And so my wife, uh, my wife, my girl, she was my girlfriend at the time. She, um, she says, well, we're going to go to church. And I was like, okay, cool. I've been thinking about that wanting to go. So we ended up not, we ended up together. We were supposed to go to this church. Well, my wife didn't want me to go. So she got, we, we got up, we got dressed and all this again, we're not married. So I'm, 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 I actually have went to my apartment that night because we're trying to do right. So, uh, worldly as, as you can in the world. So, Oh, we're just not, you know, we'll sleep together, but I'm not going to stay here. I'll just go to my apartment, you know? So I went to my apartment and I got dressed and I come to our house, which was here in spring Lake. I lived in Fayetteville at the time. And, uh, she's like, Oh, I'm going, me and I'm going to church. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. We're going to church. She said, no, no, I'm going to church. She's like, you're not going to church with me. I was like, what do you mean? Like you, we, we agreed on this. She's like, I'm not taking you in there. You, you know, she knew I, she, she knew I wasn't right. She knew my motives weren't right. And so she, she ends up going to church by herself. So that day I end up going to a church, uh, just out of spite, out of anger, because I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to show her that I'm serious about this. And so I ended up going to a very popular black church here in Fayetteville, a very well known and still active and alive today. Um, and I remember getting going in the parking lot and nobody's talking to me. Nobody's saying anything. It's a fashion show, all these nice cars, everything going on. And I was just like, I'm not feeling this. So I left and I went and I just I'm driving around town just trying to go to a church. I didn't care which one. I just had to prove to her that I was going to go. And uh, I get to this one church, and it's a small church, just kind of looks like the church I had back home, because that was a thing in my mind. I have to find a church like I had back home. And so uh, I get out, and two people come out, and they're like, hey, and they made me feel like the most welcomest person. The sermon was the worst sermon I ever heard. The pastor was begging the people, you know, to just do stuff in his sermon. Uh, he, he, he Honestly, it's funny, because he was talking about coming to the church for morning prayer and just praying. And so... Uh, and all this, I, I remember that. And he was talking about how he would get in his car and cry out to God and his neighbor uh, would, would think it was crazy and called his wife and ask him, what does he be doing every morning when he's in the car leaving and all this other stuff. So I remember the sermon being about that. And I'm like, who does that? Who gets up at 5 a.m. and goes to morning prayer at the church? Who does that? And I was like, no wonder this guy ain't got nobody following him. Nobody wants to do what he's trying to do. And so but uh, I sit through that service. But and the people were very nice. But I never went back to that church. So the next time me and my wife actually do end up going to a church together, and I'm saying all this to, to kind of piece it together, how God made what we do in our fellowship come together in my in, in all of this journey that I had of going back to church. So that was that church. He's talking about morning prayer. The next church we go to, the first service we go to, uh, the, the pastor's talking about how they taking they starting this building project, and they want they got they bought this land. They're gonna build this church on this land, and uh, he's taking pledges. And I'm like, man, see, I knew it because coming from the church I came from, you have three and four offerings. And so I'm like, OK, so and he just wants money. And so they they pass us, you know, the slip to write down our pledge. And I'm like, I'm not. See, I knew it. And so I wasn't going to go back to that church either. But they used to do dramas before the preaching every every service. And the dramas were very good. And so I like drama. So I was like, OK, we can stay here for a little while. So he stayed there for a little while. But he again, I, the offering. He kept talking about the, the the vision. Then he starts showing this high tech church on the screen and how they need money for it. And I'm just like, I'm not down with this either. So I, I stopped going to that church. My wife keeps going for a little while and uh, she ends up uh, getting, getting a flyer. Like I said, we get the flyer uh, the second time at my apartment together. She ends up going to Victory Chapel here in Spring Lake. And then I come sometime after that and I fell in love with it. Like I said, at that new converts class. And that's how we ended up here. So all those in that church, actually, who the pastor took was taking that offering for and did all that. Several years later, that 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 pastor, everything he was preaching about and talking about came to pass. They still have a vibrant church today in our city. Um, the church has a good testimony in the city. And so, um, you know, so to say, you know, one of the things we, we, we hear people say in the fellowship, sometimes people can get to the point where they're so fellowshipy that they don't think that any other church is doing uh, has vision and doing the things that we're doing that church is doing in our city and everything that that pastor was talking about came to pass. I just was in, was not in the place to receive it. And, uh, but I know that God was setting all that up because all those things that these churches that I were going to was talking about, 
was everything that we are as a fellowship. And so just seeing them trying to get people to, to come to outreaches and do all these things that we take for granted that we do so easily. And we do with our eyes closed. Sometimes these churches are literally sometimes begging members to do it. And, um, you know, it was that's how I ended up here and I began to see the vision for what we got. So uh, it makes sense now why God kind of let me go to these places, because, you know, you start piecing it together. and You're like, oh, OK, that's why I heard that sermon. Or that's why, oh, this was going on and that was going on, because, you know, God was setting me up to be in this fellowship. So. OK, so <clears throat> I would like to ask you, uh, we, we you've talked a lot about your relationship with the, the church and uh um, no. I'm wondering, what was your relationship with God? Like, did, had you ever had a personal experience with God in church? And even when those times no. when, when the church turned you off, uh, was God ever, you know, making made himself real in your life? Or did it did it finally happen when you eventually came to Victory Chapel? No, it 100% happened when I came to Victory Chapel. Um uh, so in the church I was going to, the Baptist church I was going to, uh, the pastor didn't have this spirit, but the church had this spirit. There were, it was a lot of carnal people in the church, knowing what I know now. Uh, that and, and it's been proven because that pastor over the years, his testimony is still good. He's still married to the same wife. He, a, a lot of people, in a, like I say, in a small town, you end up finding out who people are. He wasn't that. And so he ended up branching out of that fellowship and he started his own and from the ground up and he's doing very well. And a lot of people that were working with youth at the time have actually gone with him. And so, uh, but for me personally, no, I did not have a relationship with God. I got baptized because I wanted a Bible with the gold letters with my name on it. So I got baptized for that reason. <laughs> Everything was, was, was a show. You know, it wasn't, there was never anything that was Oh, I need to do this for God. It was always uh, for to be seen. Um, when I got baptized, like I said, it was I wanted that Bible and I wanted to, you know, uh, get the stuff that everybody else gets when they go up there. You know, when you say stuff like, "Oh yeah, I feel like God wants me to do this" or whatever, but you, I, I didn't know what I was talking about. And so I, I would go up. I did that. I got baptized for that reason. I was in the choir. Um, I could sing pretty good for my age. And so I would be, and I was probably the only boy that was either brave enough or wanted to do it. I don't know exactly the reason, but I would, I would end up doing what we, what I call the headline songs. So when they wanted somebody to imitate Kurt Franklin or Todd Tribbett or somebody of that nature, those were the type of songs that I did because I would perform. And, uh, I, and Pastor Campbell says it now, I had never heard it. Uh, I had, I had said it to myself. But I had never heard anybody actually say it uh, out loud. And I had never said it out loud, but I had this thing where I was humbly proud. And so I would do the, what we call choir anniversaries. I would do these and um, uh, I would sing, the, like I said, the last song, which is normally supposed to be the best song. And um, I would wait for people to come to me and tell me how good of a job I did. Now, I didn't put this out there like I wanted that because I was humble, right, on the outside. And so, but I wanted that. I wanted people to come to me and tell me how good I did and all this stuff. And so um, I, I craved that. I needed that, you know, for what it, for validation or whatever. And, um, and, and, and so uh, that's what it was for me in the church. So I never had an experience where God, everything was for a show. It was for a reason, feed ego, uh, for pride reasons. It was never really, um, you know, oh, I need to get saved. I need to live for God. It was none of that. Um, and, uh, and I came into, uh, Victory Chapel and it was preached about, it was talked about. So just a lesson to young pioneer pastors, don't get up there trying to preach deep, heavy, revy. You need to preach stuff that is simple for people to eat. You need to, you need to give them that baby food, you know, tell them why it's important to go to the altar. Tell them why it's important to give your life to Jesus. Tell them why it's important not to be watching rated R movies. Tell them why it's important to, 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 uh, when you read your Bible to start in John and then go to Matthew and then read the new Testament and don't start in revelations like everybody tries to do and get super spiritual or get freaked out. You know, you need somebody to tell you why you're doing these things, because if not, you know, you'll get a, you won't get a right perspective. And I think that's what was going on. There was no discipleship. And I'm a person just knowing myself now, all these years later, I needed discipleship. I needed someone to lead me and guide me. And it couldn't be a woman because in the Baptist church, that was what it was. Everything was women led. The pastor preached. Yes, we didn't have women preachers because they didn't do that. Um, but 
um, it was very, very like, you know, the ladies did a lot of things and they were, especially with the kids, they were the ones with hands on the kids. That's why it's so amazing that I've been blessed to, to work with kids because they need that. Uh, they need that male authority in their lives. A lot of times leading them and showing them, Hey, no, you're not going to do that in here. You want to do that in here? You're out of here. So I didn't have that. I didn't have that in the church that I was going to. And so, um, you know, when I got here, that was a thing. Uh, Pastor, we, Pastor, we had Pastor Marvin Burley, actually, when I first got here. And he was he was a jovial guy. He was more laid back. And, you know, he was very always wanting to fellowship, play games and stuff like that. But when Pastor Williams came, it was it was a totally different ball game, you know. And so uh, that's when I really started getting discipled. And so, uh, you know, that's what I needed. So that's why I didn't have an experience with God uh, in that church I was in. I just wasn't looking for it, and that there was really no discipleship uh, model to lead me to that. Nobody came and talked to you and confronted you at your seat with the gospel. It was just, oh, we're going to open the altars and people come down, and a lot of it was for people to fall out and and do, a, do put on a show. It was not really, you know, it, it wasn't a lot of things going on down there like we do we see now at our churches. Man, that's powerful. So uh, we're going to take a quick break and uh, uh, we're going to say goodbye to our uh, to our free subscribers. And uh, so if you want to hear the rest of this story about, man, there's a lot that God did with you. I want to hear about how the church transformed, uh, that you got to be a witness of that there in Spring Lake. Um, I want to hear about your discipleship journey and how you decided to you wanted to be a preacher. So uh, if you want to hear the rest of that story, you got to go hit that subscribe button. And uh, so we're going to take a quick break. And uh, for our premium subscribers, we will be right back. <laughs> 